Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. the sound of the electric fan. <clears throat> Summer is a coming. So that was Conversations by John Carter's uh, outfit uh, off an album called Castles of Ghana, which was from 1985. Uh, you might be surprised that there was that much avant-garde jazz around in 1985, but so there was. It didn't stop with the 60s or even the 70s. And that is uh, the second of clarinetist John Carter's five-part depiction of the history of African Americans, and it deals with the capture of many Africans for shipment as slaves to the New World. Um, so John Carter's the composer, and uh, he was on clarinet, and it's his concept, obviously. And he's playing with an octet, which has got bass clarinetist Marty Ehrlich, cornetist Bobby Bradford, trombonist Benny Powell, trumpeter Bakida Carroll, Andrew Cyril on drums, Richard Davis on bass, and Terry Genoa on viola and violin. I doubt whether he was doing both at the same time. Anyway... Um, I I think that uh, I'll be playing more John Carter because I've only just tripped over him and it's a great musical source. Um, and uh, it even charmed my guest, who is here amongst us even now, Lisa Knapp. Fantastic, thank you. Hello. Hello. So I thought maybe the first thing, apart from a quick introduction, I mean, you know, Lisa Knapp has a record... <laughs> Uh, as a performer, which is just amazing. I mean, sort of every album she puts out is award-winning, um, and she's been part of collaborations and uh, been part of people's bands. And, you know, she is one of the pillars of folk music in this country. Cool. <laughs> and you. you're from Ballam. <laughs> I was born in Ballam, actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so look at that. Um, <laughs> so it's all about London, you know, oh, her radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, however... Uh, you're here today because you, you're part of the Hack Poets Guild. We'll hear exactly what that means, but there are three of you, Lisa Knapp, Mary Waterson and Nathaniel Mann. Yep. We'll hear all about them in a bit. But first, would you like to play one of your tunes on the album? OK, so as you just said, I was inspired to play this first. Um, it's a song called Birds of Harmony, and uh, I, when I first found it uh, as a sheet of uh, lyrics... It uh, just the these sort of conversations of different birds. Um, it's basically like a sort of origin myth of birds, and uh, that last piece with all the different voicings uh, inspired me. So I'm going to uh, play this first. Uh, bear in mind when we do do this as a band, we have like a sort of jazz breakdown in the middle of it, which I <laughs> probably won't be able to muster alone. But um, anyway. 
the Birds of Harmony. Sitting in young Hollywood 
Wow. I mean, it's so amazing sitting here and having that played right in front of me <laughs> in this <coughs> tiny goldfish bowl. <laughs> that is our studio. Thank you. But that was really beautiful. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, do you want to tell us what the uh, sound that we could hear behind your wonderful voice? Yeah, so I'm uh, playing an instrument called an auto harp, which is basically what it says on the tin. So it's got um, a keyboard uh, which uh, have chords written on them. And so when you press one, um, it dampens you know, a sequence of strings and gives you that chord. So that you've got this sort of automatic, lovely, big... A uh, very resonant harp sound. And what were you playing these strings with? Uh, so I sometimes play them with a beater, a soft drum beater, and sometimes with a plectrum. And I, I sort of play it on my lap, upside down. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it, it feels orchestral. It does because it's just such a got such a lovely sort of wide range. You've got those sort of low notes there, right up to there, and it is very sort of evocative and resonant. I love sort of resonant sounds. Um, so yeah, that that's that was great. Um, so tell us, where did you find that song, and so, why did you find that song? So, uh, a part of this project, the Hack Poets Guild, was um, well, the, the fundamental point of it actually was that we got to go to the Bodleian Library, which is a huge library in Oxford, it's part of the sort of Oxford University, uh, you know, complex, and they house a huge amount of um, historic collections of uh, books, novels, papers um, and they have a big collection of broadsides and uh, we got to go and look at these broadsides. Broadsides basically were penny sheets, well even less than a penny, that uh, printers when printing sort of first started up, 15, 1600s, right the way up to 20th century um, would sort of print a load of uh, one-sheet songs, narrative ballads um, and things like that, and people would go and sell them at fairs, markets, very cheaply. Uh, so they were sort of quite sort of working-class, you know, um, audience. And many, many of those songs actually have gone into the folk tradition. Um, it's a huge amount of uh, folk songs can be traced back to broadsides uh, at some point so um, it's a really interesting sort of uh, area but so we got to go in look at these uh, original sheets of paper in the Bodleian and uh, make new versions and new work out of them. And was there any music notated on it? Um, there often isn't uh, they they seemed this there obviously was a currency of tunes because often you would get uh, you know um, whatever, Daring Highwayman, to the tune of blah, 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 and it would say a tune. Um, so there was obviously sort of a, a fairly well-known currency of tunes that people would just use and reuse and reuse and put different uh, lyrics to it, which I just love the idea of that. Um, so not necessarily. There are, there are though, databases of tunes uh, that are mentioned. So you, you can find some tunes, um, but people, people selling them would sing them. And people perhaps would learn the tune from the person that was singing them, take them home, forget a bit of the tune, make something else up. And that's how we have sort of like folk variations up and down the country. Well, really. I think that's, yeah. how, that's certainly how we have cover versions. But I it's think fantastic. it's actually how we have tunes Absolutely. at all. Absolutely. 
uh, I I was part of a, a project called uh, the Instant Messiah, <laughs> which was obviously based on handles, but there was a lot of people who just popped in to join in. And, okay. But so it was all the wrong instruments, but some of the right tunes, yeah. not all the right tunes. Wow. But but the right tunes sounded so folky mm. when they weren't on the kind of uh, classical family of instruments yeah. so it was very interesting i mean yeah. obviously that's where he got it from yeah 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 <laughs> uh, and it continues to this day um so that tune was that your tune um so that was a mixture uh prior to finding that narrative beautifully sort of illustrated so another thing about broadsides is they used to put woodcuts on them um i think oftentimes because people couldn't read some people a lot of people at that point couldn't read and so you'd have this woodcut and people would kind of get a little picture of what was going on but some of them have got some really beautiful woodcuts on them um so prior to seeing that ballad in the Bodleian I'd heard only ever a fragment of it um recorded um as a song called The Hawk and the Crow and so when I did come across this full narrative, I was really excited about it. Um, so I I found uh, another tune uh, in the one of the databases and I sort of mishmashed it with the tune uh, from the recording of The Hawk and the Crow and sort of put my own bits in. So it's a sort of a amalgamation of several different tunes weaved together woven together it tears at your heartstrings oh. and and it's also interesting that um it was probably was it probably written by a woman i i don't know um it's hard to know because obviously this was way before copyright some of them had registers where you you could find out who wrote them but um they're, they're, they're pretty anonymous on the whole. Um, it's fairly unlikely that it was written by a woman, but I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say never. But it's interesting that it's talking about the difference between the genders and you yeah. know what life is like. Yeah. But they do it all through. Or she does through it yeah, birds. through birds. Yeah. 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 I, I think there was a point when um, long poems about birds was quite fashionable. You know, you've got cock robin and all of those kinds of things. Um, oops. Uh, so I, it, it could have been sort of part of that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was fascinating because I, you know, I, I've got really into feeding birds in my garden, and you know, the plight of birds at the moment is just just awful. So it's just amazing to, you know, think of them flying around with this particularly in London know, mythology. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So um, there were three folk singers. That's <laughs> you and Mary yes. and Nathaniel. Yeah. And how did you come together to become uh, the Hack Poets Guild? So uh, we were invited by um, a production group called Sound UK who put on really interesting shows, um, often like one-off um, collaborative sort of shows up and down the country, and they do great work. And uh, so we were asked by them to... Um, collaborate and make a new show 
using uh, the stuff from the Bodleian. Then we just got into the Bodleian, spent a few days there researching, and then COVID hit. And so usually these are just live projects, but because of COVID, we managed to get, um, you know, uh, assistance really to make a recorded album of the work. So it was fabulous uh, that we got to do that. Um, and, and so did you each choose a song and say, yeah, I want to sing this? And then everyone sat in a room and found out what they could do to it too? Well, you would think so. That would be the normal uh, run of run of things. But obviously, because it was COVID, uh, we weren't allowed to sit in the same room. <laughs> so, well, you um, would have, if you were a prime minister. Yes, you could have done that. Well, yes, if you worked uh, in in Parliament, you could have uh, done all sorts of things, couldn't you? Apparently, but um, no. So we weren't. Also, um, Mary. She's based in Hull. I'm in London. And during the course of recording this album, Nathan moved to Barcelona. So uh, <laughs> that didn't make it easier either. But we had a producer that was my partner, Jerry Divo, who's an amazing producer and multi-instrumentalist violin player himself. Um, and he, I think he's kind of the thread in a way because he was recording it and playing on it it gave us as separate musicians, you know, that common thread uh, that kind of makes it sound like we were in a room, actually. But uh, no, we, we we never got to be in a room for the entire recording. But now you are, you've been on a tour. We just did a tour, yeah. And uh, how was that? Um, I mean, I've heard it was amazing it, both. It was, actually. I mean... You know, we we've had a great reception everywhere. Um, I think it, you know, it went beyond what we were expecting. Um, the uh, the the people in uh, Leeds, uh, where we performed, um, I'm trying to think of the name, the Opera House. What's it called? The the, the Opera people in Leeds. Uh, Opera, Opera North. North yeah. yeah, they gave us an amazing room for a week, basically uh, to rehearsing and so um it was us three and a wonderful cellist called barney morse brown yeah um and great percussionist drummer uh, lawrence hunt so there was five of us and we got in this room and we just you know we we, we just performed and uh rehearsed and got it up to a standard and then we went off on tour and yeah we we had a great reception I have to say so we played like Hull, Leeds, London, Exeter, uh, Bristol, Oxford, Oxford. I know because yeah. uh, my daughter came to see you yeah oh cool sorry I was in Scotland that's all right <laughs> I wanted to be there but another time yeah Oh, yeah, so the pandemic was why you came on the show last time, yeah. but you came on via Zoom. Via Zoom, lovely Zoom. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was strange meeting people that way. It was, it was, it was my social life, actually, yeah, yeah. the show think, during that time. I think Zoom was most people's social life at that point. No, I meant the whole show was oh, right, my okay. social life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... Give us another tune. What is it going to be this okay. time? I'm going to just uh, put this down. So I'm going to sing a song called The Troubles of This World and I'm just going to do it a cappella. Okay, but just before you do, I have to say something to my producer, 
which we should have said before the show started, but there seemed to be no time. Um, and it's this. Uh, after this session, uh, at half past five, we need to do a Zoom call to John Doran from The Quietus, because The Quietus, do you know The Quietus? Yes. Well, it's in trouble. Oh, no. Yes, and he'll come and explain why and why he needs more subscribers real quick. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, because it is a great institution. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, although it's probably no more than about 10 years old, it feels like it's always been with us. Um, but anyway, so um, I will uh, give you the appropriate email, I promise. Thank you, Esmeralda Januzzi, who is our, our producer and who's doing the sound today as well, obviously. So, back to you, Elisa. Sorry about that. Okay. So this is called The Troubles of the World. Let honest tradesmen now attend and bury part with me it is to you these lines I send for to console our misery I see the times it makes me weep there's none but poor man's labor cheap I see that times it makes me weep. There's none but poor man's labor cheap. Well, the rich they do continually run down the poor man's labor still. If he'll not work so straight, they cry, begin, we know another will. And thus the poor in all they keep, there's nothing but their labor cheap. I see the times it makes me weep. There's not but poor man's labor cheap. Well, the working woman straight complies because of her young children small. For half a of bread she cries is better far than none at all because she has a charge to keep she's forced to work and labor cheap I see the times it makes me weep it's not but poor man's labor cheap well alas too well we understand what causes all our grief 
song obviously very powerfully sung how do you do that how do you stay in tune <laughs> um practice <laughs> well brilliant oh, and, thank you and a hundred percent presumably concentration too yes um that we're not quite allowed <laughs> so that song hmm. how far back does that go so that is uh first published Somewhere towards the um, sort of mid to the end of the 17th century, so 1650s to 1680s. So might it um, be just immediately part of the Commonwealth, part like just after the Civil War? Uh, it's just after the sort of Civil War, yeah. I mean, I, I, I try to research, you know, is there a specific thing because it's so sort of still relevant. Uh, you know, when I came across it, I found it sort of quite unbelievable that it wasn't written, you know, last week <laughs> in lots of ways. There's nothing but poor men's labour cheap. Um, I, I just found it sort of really powerful polemic. Um, so I, I tried to find, you know, if it was written in a response to particular events, but I, I, it seems to be just a general, you know, perennially relevant uh, moan, really. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, that's the start of uh, radical thinking in this country. Absolutely. And to see it so uh, well, um, you know, elucidated so early on is quite inspiring, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, the the, the, the writings of the levellers uh, mm. are what kicks off the American Revolution, yeah. French Revolution. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, not the second... English Revolution, which hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but, you know. Well, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> They're like buses, revolution. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, for a long time, nothing comes along the road, and then five come along all at once. It could be, it could be. So, um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was really powerful, really powerful words. And, and, and the fact that it was, you know, sold as a broadside, sold for people on the street to to take and read and sing and recite, I, I thought that was really exciting. And is that an original tune? Uh, it is, yeah, it is. I got that again from the uh, a, a database. That did have a, um, a recommendation. I think it was to the tune of The Spinning Wheel, um, and I checked out The Spinning Wheel, and I didn't like it, so I, I put it to something else, but I can't remember the name of it now, but it is an old tune, and I love that little sort of semitone thing going on in the in the chorus. Yeah, that sort of modally thing happen, happening. And, and, but it, it felt like that was the proper tune, and that you were kind of uh, 
echoing back down the ages to when it had first been written and that you felt, it felt like that was inspiring you. Well, I, 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 I felt the same when I put that tune to it. It just seemed to click into place. So, uh, yeah, it has, it has the sort of uh, shifts in melody of that era, doesn't it? And I think that's why it, it feels like it, it comes from the same time as the lyrics. Um, I notice maybe more than before that uh, your, uh, the accent that you sing in it's quite close to your own, and yeah. it's quite London. Yeah. Um, and when you do that, the Highwayman tune, it was, mm. it's definitely where you seem to be coming from. Yeah. Sort of uh, early day Johnny Rotten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is that something that you're cultivating more than you did when you started? When it was um, I, don't, I don't know if it's something a consciously cultivating, but... Um, I've always tried to sing sort of as true to my sort of speaking voice as I can. And I think that the, the, the reason I did Daring High Women in a probably slightly more um, pronounced way than perhaps usually, you know, when I sing melodically was just because of that character. Um, it's very much a sort of character song, that piece. And I think the highwayman is a character because, you know, real highwaymen were probably fairly horrendous people, actually. You know, not not nice people at all. Uh, but the character of the highwayman, the, the lovable rogue, you know, the industry of, you know, um, robbers and, and, you know, rogues that appear in books and films and and popular narrative are not necessarily the same as real people and i think there's a really interesting reason you know um particularly for that daring highway character because there's a there's a good chunk in those narratives of you know that sort of robin hood theme that he robs the rich to give to the poor and that kind of gives him a reason to be a robber <laughs> in a way um, well, yeah, that's that's the yeah, honourable, yeah, the honourable highwayman. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, um, yeah. hangings of highwaymen were pretty popular, though, weren't they? Well, hangings of all sorts were pretty popular. <laughs> yeah. uh, public so executions it... was a major uh, um, place to sell broadsides, actually. And you, you know, you, you'd often have the the whole narrative and the song and the life of the person that was being hung being sold at their hanging. I mean, it was quite it's quite macabre to think of that, but. Um, it, it does mean that we have got some quite interesting stories that have been been handed down. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the American critic Graal Marcus uh, talking about old time tunes. You know, I guess going back to the 17th century. Mm. Like uh, he says that they actually track. They're weird because they just track normal life. Yeah. <laughs> and people were much more honest about it. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, and and death. People yeah, yeah. were a lot more honest about death, I think, as well. Yes, indeed. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> I'll... Uh, I'll turn it. I'll turn us back to the album. So, and actually, the future of the uh, Hack Poets Guild. Mm -hmm. What is the future of the Hack Poets Guild? Well, we've got a few gigs coming up. We're actually going to Dublin in June. Um, I think I'm supposed to announce that tomorrow, but ho hum, you heard it here first. Um, well, we've... you know, this this program is ahead of its time. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
by at least a day. Um, and we've got some festival gigs. We're playing at Folk East. We're playing at Manchester uh, Folk Festival uh, in the summer. And we're not sure yet. We're not sure. I mean, you know, there's some talk of possibly looking at, you know, a, a, a new project for us. But, um, you know, it's all it's all early days at the moment. So no, it's exciting. And Dublin will be exciting because yeah. they're having a huge Amazing, kind yeah. of regrowth. Yeah. Like, so many people. I mean, might you, might you partner with Lisa O'Neill so we get Lisa and Lisa? <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun, wouldn't it? Um, we saw her actually when we were in Leeds. She she uh, did a, a beautiful gig there. Yeah, no, she's yeah, amazing. Yeah, she is incredible. Yeah, uh, she was one of the last guests that we had on the show before mm-hmm. the pandemic, uh, when we still had um, we when we still had a studio that was a bit like a stables. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, that was one of the victims of the pandemic. But anyway, this is very modern. It's very lovely. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so you're going to give us another tune, I do believe. So this is um, a song called The Cruel Mother and it was kind of a way of uh, looking at how broadside ballads went into the folk tradition and then travelled. So this was collected by Cecil Sharp in about 1906 from um, the USA. Probably um, one of the harshest murder ballads, actually, in the uh, sort of English folk canon, really.
tune about the very uh, grisly couple of murders and did you just add a couple of verses um yeah i i uh i know this uh, story because there's a lot of uh, different versions of it it's a very prolifically sung uh folk song actually uh which is interesting in itself um it's one of the most commonly collected songs all over sort of Britain, Ireland, America, Canada. Uh, so, yeah, so there's lots of versions of it, and uh, I'd probably put a couple of events in it. In fact, it's uh, usually a longer ballad, and you find out um, that the uh, the lady was in love with her father's clerk, uh, first of all, so it's sometimes longer, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just one of those uh, stories that just get to you um, because it's it's current, isn't it? Unfortunately. Yeah, and I, I think um, you know the refrain does quite a lot of work in that song. And often. And and uh, how do you know that the refrain goes that way? Um, well, if the refrain often changes in, in different versions, but I think um, All Alone and Aloney is 
used quite a lot and uh you know i think it's uh it's doing quite a lot of work in that song it makes it sort of timeless because the rest of it you can believe is 18th century mm, 17th century mm, mm. but the alone and lonely mm. seems to come out of mm. sort of uh, somewhere completely different another dimension and i think what's really haunting about it is um that uh, she tries to deny it, mm. like profoundly deny yes, it. Yes, to herself even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It looks like it costs you to sing that. Um I I hope so. <laughs> I mean spiritually and emotionally. Um, yeah, I think, you know, you, you you have to have that relationship with, with your songs really. You, you know, you try you try to to have that relationship with them. Well, you certainly do. Oh, thank you. Um, well, it, it's been great um, seeing you work and hearing the songs live. Um, really, really powerful. Um, Pleasure. We could have just about fitted three of you in here, but I don't think we'd have been able to fit in any other instruments. And, uh, of course, Barney Morse-Brown would have had to have been out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm no Barney. Um, right. For lots of reasons, but he's Oxford and yeah, that's and right. He's yeah, he's played with there. lots of people I know. Yeah, yeah. I think he's got something coming out soon, actually. Um, so yeah, yeah, because he does a he does a solo thing too. Yeah, he's got a solo thing coming out soon. Oh, it so might already be out. Um, I think. Yeah. Is it called Duotone? He's called Duotone. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yes, I know him. <laughs> okay, well, well, it's been great. Um, so we know the possible futures for uh, the Hack Poets Guild. Mm. What about the possible futures for yourself? Yeah. Um, or are you going to just going to be the Fab Three now and take America by storm? Well, that would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice, definitely. Could 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 definitely factor that in somewhere. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, um, I'm going to. Uh, do some more solo stuff at some point. There's a few little things bubbling about, so creatively. I, I think, um, yeah, what with uh, COVID and stuff and, and doing this, uh, it's been a bit of a hiatus, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely hope to uh, do some more stuff um, and maybe some other collaborations as well. Who knows? Well, it will always be a pleasure to you to drop in the show and Aww. where possible play something live too oh absolutely i'd love to it's been great thank you ever so much no, for inviting well, me well no it's it's been our wonderful pleasure and um so thanks very much indeed uh, and do stay if you want to stay um but uh that's the end of your bit thank but a, you but a very very wonderful bit it's been <laughs> thank you very much so um if if you're interested dear listener and if you're not interested, what's wrong? Have you got a heart of stone? <laughs> anyway, Hack Poets Guild, they have an album out called Black Letter Garland. And, of course, our guest today is all over it. That will be Lisa Knapp, along with Mary Waterson, uh, who is a scion of the Waterson family, of course, a uh, cousin of Liza Carthy. Yes. Uh, and Norma was her auntie. Uh, and her mum's name? Lal Waterson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, amazing songwriter. Yeah, so, singer. so it's, it's worth, just as it's worth getting into Lisa Knapp's back catalogue, similarly with Mary Waterson, and that's for Nathaniel Mann. Wow. <laughs> so, and we've often um, 
played him on the show oh, uh, way back to Lake Junction. I think he was... Uh, I think he did a live recording of something from one of his installations for, for Lake Junction. Anyway, he's quite a man, too. And, of course, Jerry, Jerry Diva, well, he is a, a diva. Diva, <laughs> diva, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he should change his spelling. Anyway, good luck in Ireland. I'm sure you'll have a wonderful time. Thank you. And, um, and now I must pull myself out of this one and... Uh, find out where my playlist has gone. Ah, there it is. So, um, here's something uh, that is um, possibly a little different to what we've been listening to. an ending for you, no doubt about that. Um, that's from an album called Pity by One All Good Treasure, which you might think is a good title for a folk album, but no, that's a kind of blunted blues outsider, outsider soul album by L.A. Timper, uh, who has worked with people like Klein and Lol K. And um, it's just, uh, I had to download the whole album because it's just so good. That's his most recent album, but you also heard just before that another track by him from 2020 from an album called Modern Antics in a Deserted Place. And you'll notice 2020, Deserted Place, yes, it was all about being in a deserted place during the pandemic, and that was called Deaf in Three Quarters. Anyway, L.A. Timper, well worth a listen. Um, before that... Um, before that, I seem to have just lost uh, who who followed Lisa Knapp. So who could possibly follow Lisa Knapp? Then um, they were called Project 197, uh, and that was a track called The Outsound, and it's off uh, an album called Tape Excavation, which came out uh, just at the end of last month on Independent Project Records. And you will have noticed that it just blew you away, really. It was sort of a bit beef heart, a bit no wave um anyway it was uh tape excavation itself was originally released as a 14 song limited edition vinyl to accompany a deluxe a deluxe edition of the acclaimed book savage impressions um and uh, that was by a uh, project independent project records founder bruce leicher who's well worth looking at not just as a as a sound man but also as a graphic designer um and uh, it was comp and and that version of tape excavation which has just been re-released was compiled by him he went through dozens of boxes of cassette tapes from rehearsals demos and other recordings to find previously unheard nuggets from his various oral endeavors and i can promise you that it's all pretty out there and uh, very much probably to your taste. But talking of taste, um, people who help us with our tastes are very important. And there's no doubt about it that quiet, The Quietus has changed tastes through the nation 
maybe not masses and masses of people, but a strong, strong vein runs through British music now, helped very much by them. Um, and I'm hoping that on the line I have John Doran. Yes, I do. Hey, Max, how's it going? Uh, it's going very well. And John, I'm just looking at you on the Zoom here. And um, wow, you look like a Karl Marx has been born again. <laughs> well, I look slightly different to last time, right? I yeah. would have had short hair. And uh, yeah, this is kind of my uh, lockdown project. Uh, I was like, I'd already left London uh, three months before the start of the first uh, uh, pandemic, the first lockdown. And I just thought there's literally no uh, reason whatsoever why I can't suddenly embrace the kind of uh, stoner thrash metal look of my youth again. But you didn't have a grey beard then, did you? No, no. <laughs> that is like age, that is where age is encroached. And uh, I don't like to draw too much attention to how much higher my forehead is these days than it was in the mid 80s. But... Well, we could talk about that. At length, if you like that high foreheads, mine goes right back to the bottom of my neck. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so, John, I read that there is a crisis going on at The Quietest. Do you want to tell us a bit about it? Um, so The Quietest, I should say right from the beginning, um, it's always been quite rickety and we've nearly closed several times over the last five years. Um, it, it More recently, it's been because of the uh, kind of the bottom falling out of advertising. And then quite catastrophically, um, when uh, COVID first hit, um, we just, our money reduced to nothing. And we had to very hurriedly bring in a subscriber model. And the response to this was overwhelming. Um, it actually put us ahead for once. We were suddenly able to pay all of our writers, instead of just most of them, for everything that they did at a relatively, you know, a relatively fair rate, bearing in mind that we're an independent uh, magazine covering, some might say, difficult culture uh, with absolutely no financial backing. And the thing is, it's like the people, the very good people who run our subs model for us um, are steady in Berlin. They run uh, subscriber models for lots of different magazines and websites and newsletters and things like that. And I believe out of all of the people they look after, our churn rate is uh, the lowest, which means, um, you know, the number of people who uh, kind of decide after a year or after a few months that they're not going to subscribe any longer. So we're really grateful for that. But even with a very, very low uh, kind of churn rate, say of like three or four percent, you're still always kind of losing subscribers. And then again, recently with the cost of living uh, crisis, uh, even more of our kind of regular advertising um, fell through. And we just put off, um, we put this off to the last possible moment. We, we'd had a film section, for example, for 14 years and we had to close it and um we had a uh, an art section and we had to close that as well and we've had to put our books coverage on ice and it was really a matter of like how do we ring fence um 
how do we protect what the core of what we do is? And that's music. And I just said, look, we need to speak directly to the people who who read us and just say, look, you, you know, we don't expect anyone who hasn't got money to put their hands in the pocket. But we felt for the first time ever it was necessary to say, look, you know, maybe four or five million people a year read us, but probably only 900 uh, subscribers to the site. And we could really, really use about 350 more just to push the wolves away from the door. And I remember on the morning where I'd, I'd sat down and I really don't like doing this. You know, I had to sit down and write quite a heartfelt uh essay about the kind of like the pickle that we were in and I, I remember that morning saying to Luke look don't get depressed if it takes us six weeks to make up uh these subscribers and and like you know don't get depressed if uh we only raise 50 new subscribers because at the end of the day 50 new subscribers is better than no new subscribers but um yeah we kind of we cleared um, 200 of the 350 subscribers that we needed within the first 24 hours. So, I mean, it, to us, the response was, uh, it was overwhelming. It was really moving. And, and what was really gratifying was, I think just a lot of people didn't really realize what a kind of... Uh, sticky corner we got on ourselves into you know and so like as soon as people knew a lot of people i put out one email i put out one tweet and that got shared so many times you know you had people like billy bragg and mark riley were sharing it i had people like you and rough trade getting in touch to see if we were all right and you know, that one tweet that I put out on Thursday morning got seen by three quarters of a million people alone, you know. So, I, I, yeah, for us, it's been a really, really insanely stressful year. You know, Luke's, um, Luke, who I run the choirs with, he became like a dad a year ago. He's just had his book um, uh, just came out today. Uh, like his job at the quietest is the uh, the kind of producer. So it's like his job to keep the kind of thing on the road financially where like my job is the editor. But also I'm trying to juggle writing a book and, um, you know, like uh, find freelance work to allow me the luxury of doing the quietest. So in a really, really stressful year, it was it was just very, very nice to see how many people obviously kind of care about the site. Oh, sorry, did you stop? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I thought I'd better I thought I'd better let you get a word in there, Max. Well, sorry. Um, I there's no doubt about it. You wrote it very powerfully and and the quietus is like um a major support to the stories I tell myself, I suppose. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it feels then that I'm not in a desert, but, you know... They're, that's they're... really that's really good to hear. I mean, I would say that... So, you know, we would never pretend that we were the only people doing this. I think very importantly, you know, like we always like to turn around and say, you know, kind of 
big props to the wire you know what i mean who've been doing this for years but they what they do what they do one the wire is slightly different to us they cover the the window of music they cover is goes into different areas um but also the a print i mean i i my i've i've been a subscriber to the wire since the mid 90s and uh, you know my sub for quite a while has been a digital one but it's not free to access in the digital domain and that's really what the quietest is about you know um but even then you know we do feel that we're part of a a rhizomatic network you know like it's we really feel you know connections to smaller more independent tape labels and record labels like bigger independent labels like warp and rough trade and uh, rocket and uh, ninja tune um and mute uh, but also to people like yourself you know and like other kind of broadcasters and other writers and i i guess what i like to think that we all do and it's going against the grain somewhat and i don't want to kind of make any heroic claims for this but the majority of people writing about culture at the moment they do so did they do so from a kind of like a optimist uh philosophy or standpoint which means that they're more kind of commenting on um culture at the most popular and like you know the 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 end of culture where it gets the most plays on spotify or the most hits on youtube or the biggest kind of selling albums and so on and obviously i don't think there's anything wrong with that at all i think it's really good what i think though is is like if everyone else is doing that then we'd be damn fools to do the same thing you know i'd like i'm um i'm old enough for it to be core to my philosophy that even if you're being naive like when i write about culture what i want to do is to move culture um and i'm not saying that we achieve it that often and like you alluded to earlier uh, when we do move it we might only be nudging it by a certain degree but i definitely definitely i'm not uh in this to just passively observe you know like i hear some things that other people might describe as difficult or um underground or obscure but I don't think they're willfully obscure and I don't think they're willfully difficult. In fact, what I hear is kind of beautiful music and I want the largest amount of people to share in that with me. Yes, I mean, I just think, uh, you know, there is a, a thing called a tastemaker and I just think that tastemaker is a sort of barren term for me because it sounds a bit like a diktat and... Or, or maybe it's got us into the kind of beige area of music that uh, a lot of radios in, um, taste makers. Whereas taste cultivators, which I think is what the quietest does, um, is something completely different. And you know, you're 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 really saying to readers, this is what's happening with this music. And and then the assumption is they've got to see what's in it for them. You're not, it's not a diktat, is what I'm saying. And also, you don't get the impression 
this this is important too that uh you guys are the quietest are making millions you know oh my god it, 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 it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't feel I'm, like I, 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 I'm, I'm sat here listening to you putting my fingers through all the different holes in my uh jumper that i'm wearing yeah exactly. i mean i don't I, know we're you not, know i'm you know, certain that, i'm certain that i'm not speaking to pat boone here I'm talking about his relationship with uh, the bank account yeah. of Little Richard. Um, I, 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 to be honest, I feel grateful in 2023 when I look around that we're able to make any kind of money doing this. I do genuinely feel appreciative of it. But having said that, I'm old enough and long enough in the tooth to uh, not want to have to really suffer to do what I believe is kind of quite quite a fairly useful job you know uh but yeah you're right you you know we like probably we look back at like things like like the age when say like the nme could make or break a group by defining whether it was okay or not to listen to it and oh my god that was that was like that was horrible you know the way that these like places like ipc used to kind of either like elevate certain bits of culture and stamp all over other bits, you know, for God's sake, I would never want to return to that, but it's just finding some kind of balance. I mean, like it's like when we get to our like top 100 albums of the year, you know, we'd be the first to admit that like, you know, not even us in the, like I listen to some of the stuff that's in that top 100 of the year. And I think, what the hell is this? This is, unlistenable you know but the whole point is is that we're covering a wealth of music that no one else does and i know that anyone with open ears who gives that list a fair crack of the whip will walk away with 20 30 maybe even 40 things that will really really impress them and 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 that's the point isn't it it's just providing a genuine alternative we're not saying you have to like um kind of like transcendent ambient black metal from Finland. And we're not saying you have to like the latest kind of um, meditative uh, modulus synth uh, kind of sensation. But we're saying that maybe you'll like one of them, you know. And even if you come to the site on a regular week, I think there's always a handful of things that that are really great. And I kind of, to be honest, it blows me away that not more people are writing about them. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. But I, we're running out of time. You have got some musical treats for us, um, which we'll probably um, play into infinity as we say goodbye. But I just want to return to what should listeners do if they want to support the Quietus in one of its hours of need? Uh, please, if you can afford it, go to the front page of the site. A little pop-up will uh, come up on the screen, a little black box saying subscribe. Click on that. We've got three um, three tiers. There's a very cheap one, which is just you paying the equivalent to like half the price of a monthly music magazine. And then there's a middle tier, which has got loads of perks, got podcasts, essays, playlists, um, newsletters and then there's a top tier in which you get all of the other stuff but you also get free exclusive music recorded by some of the best people working in sound today free exclusively to you to your 
inbox once a month. So um, you better take advantage of these things while they're there, people. Um, and good luck with this. Um, I, I can't say crusade, but, but good, <laughs> good, 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 I didn't say crusade, but good luck with, with this kind of move to defend yourselves and to uh, bring a little prosperity into your lives. Um, good luck. Now, what have you bought for us? Have you actually bought us some nascent Finnish death metal? No, I thought what I'd do is like I'd offer you a, like a choice. We first up there's Vaclav Zimpel, who's a fantastic uh, Polish, um, I guess you'd say jazz or minimalist composer. He also does a lot of work in kind of classical Indian music. He works a lot with James Holden and um, Shackleton and people like that. But this is he did this a commission for us, which was he took a lot of. Um, field recordings of trains, trams and buses and automobiles driving around uh, Warsaw and he uh, then improvised um, electronic and pipe music over the top of it. Really beautiful, very, very quirky individual minimalist music and if you've got any time after that we've got Joe Bevan which is more from a kind of a pop direction. She's the lead singer with the group um, Desperate Journalist and she just wrote this song, and it really reminded me of early Chris and Cozy, really beautiful song. And I had the pleasure of remixing it under my uh, psychedelic disco over guilt uh, moniker. <laughs> and and is, is the moniker over guilt? Yeah, guilt spelt G-I-L-T. <laughs> I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Got it. OK, well, it's it's great as ever talking to you and uh, at some point in the not too distant future you should uh, come and be a guest and bring you know shelf loads of stuff to play oh absolutely absolutely i remember the last time it was such a great laugh a great afternoon playing um check my machine by paul mccartney yes. I'll, I'll bring some more, <laughs> more i'll bring some more gems in with me next time absolutely but probably not all by macca no <laughs> Anyway, thanks very much, John. Good luck with it. Um, people out there, subscribe. Subscribe to The Quietus. Thanks very much to my guest today, Lisa Knapp, and thanks very much to John for talking to us. And here's a couple of tunes he's chosen.